Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So guys, I, I have two words for you. And two words on my... Go, go. No. Jonathan Spector! Jonathan Spector is on this national team. Johnny Spector. That's like the Spector of Bob Bradley, more like it. I see what you did there. Hashtag am I right. Hashtag Bance. Hashtag Jonathan Bornstein. Goat. Hashtag... He actually was a goat. Gordon he played for Shivas, didn't he? He did. That yeah. was, that's actually accurate. So yeah, that's where he made most of the, his career appearances. <laughs> I mean, uh, I would rather have Jonathan Spector than like Edgar Castillo, I guess. Yeah. So sure. But yeah, Jonathan Bornstein just makes me think of like 2009. I mean, he's still a national hero in Honduras. Johnny Bernstein, I mean. He'll be a hero there forever, just like... Um, San Zussi. Yeah, Gra- Graham Zussi will forever be a national hero uh, for Mexico, whereas uh, in Panama, I assume that they loathe and fear him in equal measure. Those flowing locks. They, If you if you look on... Uh, in bars, there are murals of, of La Chupacabra, and it is Graham Zussi. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am your host, Adam Taylor, back from my travels in the wilderness of the central time zone and back in AMT studios for the first time in a little while. So uh, I'm glad to be back, even if what we have to start the show tonight is not too happy. We're going to talk about DC United's 3 nothing loss to the Metros up in Jersey. We're also going to talk about some CONCACAF Champions League, which is more than a little bit happier than uh, MLS right now. So we're going to talk about that just for our own sanity. And we're also going to look around the league a little bit and see what's happening elsewhere. Before we do anything, though, I I should say that I'm joined, as always, by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. And we're all from blackandredunited.com. I'm also going to ask them what they're drinking. So, Ben, what are you drinking? Clearly, I'm in fine form tonight, by the way. So, because of what happened in Jersey, I would assume, uh, I got a cold on Sunday. On your birthday. Which was also my birthday, so it was a delightful conflagration of events. So, I am still rather sick right now, so I was going to do, I was thinking about doing something, not straight shots of vodka level, obviously, but something in a, in a similar vein, but instead, I'm just drinking wine, I'm drinking uh, Boda Box, Pinot Grigio, because that's what we had, and that's what I can stomach while sick. I would have gone with scotch. I don't have any scotch. You should rectify that. Well, you should buy me some scotch, because it was my birthday. 
you did, I, I would say you didn't invite me to your birthday party, but you actually did invite me to your birthday party, so <laughs> I just happened to be traveling from Chicago on that day. <laughs> so maybe I do owe you some scotch. Damn it, I walked right into that one, didn't I? Jason, yeah. what are you drinking? Save me. Uh, I was running late, and so all I really had time to do was pour some bourbon in a glass. So I had Evan Williams single barrel in a glass. Well, at least it's good bourbon. It's good bourbon. Uh, I don't really have any bad bourbon anymore, um, except for the Gentleman Jack that I uh, infused with things, that, so it's not really bad anymore. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was either that or rye, and I drank rye last time I was drinking a brown liquor, so bourbon is it a rye. All right. So uh, I'm a, I guess... You might call me an Oktoberfest truther in this vein because Oktoberfest is in September. It is the celebration of the lead-up to October, which I know makes no sense. But because I wanted to get that point out there, I am drinking Hofbrau Oktoberfest because it is now September and we can put the month of August behind us, which is what we'll do after this episode of the show. Um with can that, I, let's... Wait, can, oh, go ahead. One more uh, German beer thing. I recently, I think I mentioned it in one of our um, What Are You Drinking uh, game thread notes, um, but I had, um, for years, I've been seeing Kostreiser uh, Schwarzbier in the liquor, the various liquor stores around here, and it's one of those, like, German beers that it's always it's always available, at least in this region, in Maryland, um, and it's just one of the things you never bother with because there's so many good local beers, and... If you want something cheap, there's cheap American beers. Um, but I've got to say, I'm, I kind of regret not getting it. If you if you go to your liquor store and see Kostreiser, it almost looks like it's Kostreiker uh, because it's in a weird cursive text. Um, but it's not. It's an, it's an extra Z that doesn't look like the second Z on the label. Uh, but that's really good. And really, you should give those German beers a try. They're not... They're not kidding around. Like, the German reputation for good beer, it's actually earned. This has been a not-paid advertisement for German beer. If uh, German beer as a whole (laughs) would like to sponsor this podcast, please contact us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Or any particular Or just email me, and I will sponsor it on my own. Either way. Jason, Jason, no taking bribes. We're in this for the podcast. It's not a bribe. It's an actual sponsorship. I mean, I guess there's not really that much of a difference between bribing and sponsorships when you think about it. But um, <laughs> well, sp- speaking of bribes, if if an Adablock uh, wants to sponsor us, I will certainly take your horrendous bribe money for the podcast <laughs> that threw Bob McJohn- McDonald in jail. All right. Before this gets out of hand, let's talk about something that got out of hand. DC United were run off the field Sunday night by the Red Bulls on national TV, losing three to nothing. Um, the good news is that no. United didn't concede in the first half hour. No early goals in this one. The bad well, news was barely, barely every, out of the yeah, half hour. <laughs> yeah, thirty minutes, thirty third minute. Uh, but they did make it out of the first fifteen minutes and out of the next fifteen minutes, and then promptly did their best filibuster impression going off the rails. Um, only 
it was much less amusing than I hope we are when we go off the rails. <laughs> uh, There's probably a so, similar, similar level of amusing. Yeah, so the good news is they made it through the early stages of the game. The bad news is basically everything else besides Bill Hamid. Uh, I, I really, I guess I have to look back and, and say that when I was a child, I was taught if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So, Ben... I assume that you were not so so well raised as as that. I mean, yeah, it was just awful. Uh, there was nothing good to say about it. Um, the midfield, in particular, was awful. Uh, I mean, we've we've seen the two man midfield get overrun before, uh, whether it be Kitchen and Arnaud, whether it be Kitchen and. Halsey in this case, whether it be Kitchen and some, whether it be Kitchen and somebody else, or not Kitchen and Arno. Uh, I mean, we've seen it happen from time to time, but this was supposed to be a good matchup for them. This was supposed to be what we wanted eventually was to see Kitchen and Halsey together, and they just got blown apart uh, on this day and let everything run through, and nobody else was much better. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was. I have nothing, just like you, I have nothing good to say about anybody except Bill Hamid. Jason, what did happen in, in central midfield and in, in central defense for this one? They just looked completely out of sorts. I mean, the, the team did create a couple half chances in the first 20 minutes, and that is about the most positive thing we can we can actually pull from this game. Yeah, I would say that the problem wasn't just central midfield or just central defense. It was all over the field. Um, and I, I went back and, and was thinking about who actually could say that, which individuals could say they played well. And I would say, I mean, Hamid obviously was our United's best player. He was the only player who played well. Um, Nick DeLeon was the least bad of the starters. Yeah. Um, he at least tried, he, he had some ideas. Um, and was thinking ahead of, of the play rather than reacting to everything, which is what everyone – the whole game really falls back on reacting, but I'll get to that. I'll finish my thought with the only other player I thought that did adequately was Jairo Arrieta, who actually took more shots in 14 minutes than anyone else in a United shirt took over the entire course of the game. Uh, he had 33% of, of United shots on goal – or shot attempts uh, despite coming in with 14 minutes to go. Um, but – the whole team was reactive. Um, everything was thinking after th- thinking should have been done. It was all too late. And the mental slowness that United showed was right. I mean, it was really demoralizing because against New York, you have to think fast because they pressure so aggressively. You have to be quick mentally. You have to already know what you're going to do when the ball arrives at your feet. Um, you've got to already know what you're going to do if you're defending. You've got to know what you're going to do before the pass is being made towards your mark or towards the space that you're protecting. Um, and United just, other than there was like a five-minute span uh, from like roughly the 18th minute to the 23rd minute, 24th minute, somewhere in there, that United was decent, um, that they created a couple looks, that they actually had possession and, and weren't just spending the entire game in their own half. Um, but the other 85 minutes were terrible, and it was all, in my opinion at least, it was all about being slow mentally, 
all over the field and some some really bad first touches uh, all over. It seemed like everyone had uh, bricks for feet for the game. Um, Saborio in particular really struggled to hold the ball up, and it's not because he was being out muscled. It's because he would gain he would do the right things to gain position, and then his first touch would be five yards away. Um, there was a moment in the first half that kind of summed the whole game up for me, and it was Sabrio reacted to a ball coming to him um, too slowly. He still managed to get position on Matt Miazga. His first touch was bad, and he had to go fight really hard to dig the ball out of trouble. He fought off three different tackles um, to keep the play alive. He passed to Taylor Kemp, and Kemp took a touch in space and then had time to weigh up his options and then made a pass to no one that New York immediately turned into a chance um, within, like, five seconds. Um, and it was it was just the kind of play that makes you pull your hair out, but it was 85 minutes of that uh, out of the 90 were that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it, mentally, United was slow. Central midfield suffered as a result. Um, the kitchen Halsty combination still has a long way to go in terms of um, getting coordinated um, if, if we're going to keep playing the double pivot system. Um, which should be something that's on the table. And at this point, realistically, the only thing that isn't on the table is we know who the starting fullbacks are and we know who the starting goalkeeper is. And everyone else should be wondering, um, maybe Chris Roloff accepted, everyone else should be wondering, you know, am I going to maintain my starting role in Colorado? Because who's actually earning it right now? Yep. Yeah. And and Franklin and Kemp are keeping their spots because Chris Corb is out for the season. Yeah, they're not, and, they're and Robinson and Mishu are not at that level yet. We're going right. to talk about more about them in the next segment. But let's I, – I had Michael Farfan teed up for that next segment too, but let's talk about him now. Okay. Um, he, he looked really good against Montego Bay, um, and we'll talk more about the details of that. But Ben Olsen has gone on record saying that he's going to be an important part of this team going into the, the stretch run after this, this bye week that they have coming up this weekend. Do we think that there will be changes after three straight losses in league games when the team is just giving up goals? They, what, eight goals in the last three league games? Eight goals against, one goal for? That's changes that that looks like something needs to happen, especially since they're losing midfield, whether the other side has... they're, They're losing the central midfield battle, whether the other team has two or three guys or or two guys and a corpse in in central midfield uh, in the case of NYCFC. So, Jason, do you think we are going to see a tactical shift, and do you think Michael Farfan will be a part of that? Uh, I, I kind of hope so. Um, I'm not sure. It, you know, if this game had been a one nothing loss, if, if they'd given up the goal in the 33rd minute and then up their play but not enough to equalize... I would say probably not, but the way the last few weeks have gone, um, the fact that Arnaud now has a concussion, so he's sort of a variable in terms of recovery, um, the fact that Marcus Halstey and Kitchen don't necessarily work well together uh, at this point, and realistically the fact that we should be considering Halstey as a center back uh, as well. Like Those guys yeah. are not safe, um, so he could be starting back there. Um, yeah, I, I think it should be certainly on the table. Um, I would rather see that the four-one-three-two than seeing Farfan in the shadow forward, fake forward, whatever that was against San Jose. Um, I think 
he's at his best playing underneath two strikers rather than one. Um, I also don't think we give enough from the wings to, to support that. Um, but in any case, um, I would hope that that's a possibility, not just for adding to the offense, but also giving Kitchen a, a positionally a more defined role, playing as a true number six, where he's not having to judge whether he goes forward or not based on somebody else's actions. Um, where it, he's in a situation where his job is to stay in a certain area and be defensive first and foremost and not having this, you know, take a percentage of the attacking load from the midfield. Um, I also think long-term that's his best position is as a true number six anyway. Um, the issue for United is that, uh, you know, defensively it does come at a cost. There's um, more space to defend in the midfield when you play in a diamond of any of any kind of diamond. Um, there are gaps that aren't there with a flat four or flat-ish four. Um, but on the other hand, at this point, United isn't defending those the gaps they normally do, deal with. They're not defending them very well. Um, so you've got to change something. And if um, if Farfan can push his hit, can force Olsen's hand into moving to a formation that he's he's clearly, I think Olsen, given a dream roster, would probably play a four-one-three-two. Um, yeah, I think that's what he wants to do. But clearly, the team hasn't had sustained success in that look before. But right now, this is the first time in a couple of years where the 4-4-2 isn't working. Um, so it really needs to be on the table, and I'm hoping that this week in training that they're looking at that team shape and really, really giving it a chance to have some success. And I'm not saying that it it is the – it's not a silver bullet, um, given that the last few performances have been bad enough that you can yell about tactics and whether the team is attacking enough or not. The, the level of soccer being played was so bad against San Jose and against New York that playing a different formation wouldn't have changed anything. Um, in fact, against San Jose, I would argue they did play a different formation with Farfan not really as a forward, and it didn't change anything. Um, you have to play a certain level to start to have the discussion of the tactics. Um, so the soccer side has to get better regardless of whether they play a back five or a 3-4-3 three, three or whatever. Um, but I really hope that if the 4-4-2 is retained, it's because the players involved really sharpened up and are playing it at its best. Because then we've seen this team win plenty of games playing out of that formation. But um, right now, I think the team's best formation in Olsen's mind should be a question mark, and it should be down to these two weeks of training where someone or some group of players prove that this is the way the team should play going forward. I think these two weeks in training are, we'll find out pretty quickly against Colorado. And um, now I can't even remember who they play after that. Um, But in those two games, we'll find out very quickly whether United is back on track and on course to actually challenge for something this year, or if they're going to sort of drift badly into the playoffs and probably get knocked out right away. Uh, ben, anything to add to that? By the way, they play uh, Arabe Unido and then finally another home game in the league against the crew. When, the crew, yeah. by the way, there will be a black and red United tailgate yes. meetup that all you listeners should come to. Bring all food. Right, It'll be a potluck. We brought a ton of food last time. We actually had to end up throwing it a lot, a lot of it away. Yeah, um, so come with or without food, but bring food. Come or show up hungry. Or bring show food. Up hungry. 
Because now, because now nobody's gonna bring food, and you'll all be hungry. Yeah, everyone bring food. <laughs> yeah, all, all I all I was gonna add is that uh, just emphasize that this this two week span that Ben Olsen has in practice is uh, even more key because they've got to figure out who their eleven players are and get just start getting them game time together and like sh- and start shortening their roster so that they really know who their rotation is going down the stretch of the season and going into the playoffs. You can't keep rotating in. 16, 17, 18 guys uh, trying to figure out who you are. Uh, and I think Chris Rolfe even mentioned this in one of the, in an interview recently that they need that it, it's hard to play when you don't know the guys that you're going to be playing with uh, week in and week out. And so uh, obviously Fabiano Spindola coming back after this break will help that. But uh, they've really got to figure out who their team is and. At this point, maybe it isn't with Alvaro Sabarillo starting. He hasn't after his first game or two. He hasn't looked great. Uh, I mean, yeah, every, every, basically everybody but Bill Hamid is uh, has questions next to their name. So it'll be. I wish I could just take off work these next two weeks and like just like live in Ben Olson's mind, uh, trying to figure out what he's going to do uh, in the in these next two weeks of practice. So, so in this in this scenario, are you uh, is this a being John Malkovich level scenario, or do you no, want to be physically shrunk and inserted into his head? This is more this inner is more space, like a, inner space scenario. Which movie do you want? I'm thinking more like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and I'm just kind of like floating around the soccer field as a tiny, in in unseeable gnat. So you you kind of want to be a fly on the not a wall. Yes, exactly. Okay. I have I have no joke to make off of that, so I will say that we will be right back. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So, Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I, I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, and it's now time to talk CONCACAF Champions League. Much, much happier than our last segment because uh, DC United are on the inside track to clinch a spot in the Champions League quarterfinals after a 3-0 win over Montego Bay United. 
puts them on six points from two games. Michael Farfan set up Miguel Aguilar for the second game running uh, before Kofi Opari and Connor Doyle scored late to provide the margin. Uh, we talked about Michael Farfan in in the last one, and, and Jason, you wrote extensively about Farfan in, in the last word. Uh, what about his performance really sets this apart from <laughs> from basically anything else we've seen anybody in United shirt do this year. Uh, it really it's down to his ability to not just his ability but his interest in trying to play forward, trying to be an aggressive passer out of the midfield um, from the middle, especially. I mean, we've seen him a lot on the wing too, and and that's his whole career. He's been in the middle on the wing, in the middle on the wing. Um, but the the fact that he's looking forward, and not just two or three yards forward, but he's usually looking to break a line of defense for the other team. Um, if he's dropping deep in the midfield, he's trying to his first look is to somebody beyond the other team's midfield and attacking the other team's back four. Um, if he is between those two lines, he's looking to send somebody through behind the defense. And United doesn't put teams on their heels very much. Um, they tend to catch teams, uh, you know, on the counter or occasionally string some possession together, but it's never particularly fast possession. Um, and Farfan changes that by getting the ball. It's not like he's playing long or anything. We're not uh, super direct uh, with him in the game, but he gives the team an attacking intent and, and an ability that isn't there. Um, and it also helps that he, in these Champions League games, it helps with Aguilar on the field because Aguilar is the fastest attacker on the entire team um, at this point, which doesn't because Aguilar doesn't have elite speed. It doesn't speak well for United that um, he's the fastest attacking player in the on the roster. Um, but it does certainly help to have some speed. Um, actually, it goes back to New York and Chicago. Um, Chicago beat New York playing four four two because three of their four most attack minded players are really fast, um, and United just didn't have that against New York. But anyway. Um, the combination of those two is going to work really well. It does seem like there's a chemistry there, but I think also it helps that Aguilar is fast and he, he knows how to get into goal-scoring positions, and Farfan is always looking for someone making that, that aggressive run so he can pair it with an aggressive pass. Um, and I think that's something United needs, not just in the Champions League. Um, we can't, you know, obviously there's a level of competition here that, of course, of course, a player of Farfan's quality had a big game against uh, Montego Bay at at home because you know Montego Bay is a roughly you know lower half of the USL quality roster. Um, a couple sometimes Jamaica internationals aside, um, they're just not a very good team. And so yeah, of course, guys like Farfan and Aguilar um, really created plenty of danger. But uh, it's more of it's a, it's more of a sign of intent for the future for United that. Players are not – they're giving teams a reason to not just come forward and camp out in United's half, um, and that's something that needs to happen in the league as well as the Champions League. And so it, it's good to see Farfan making it happen against bad teams, and, and maybe the next step is getting those opportunities against MLS teams. Ben, Connor Doyle was actually really dangerous in this game. He's probably – one of the few guys who came up as a, a forward, as a center forward through the first phase of his career, got moved out to the wing and became more goal dangerous than he 
ever was in a central position. Um, he was not good against the Red Bulls as a sub, but but in this game against Montego Bay, he came in and was really dangerous and scored a really nice goal. Yeah, yeah, he was, and um, I mean, a, a lot of that is indicative of the level of competition that he was facing, but at this point, Chris Pontius has done nothing to keep himself in front of Connor Doyle at that left midfield spot, so it really depends on the forwards to uh, see what's going to happen there. Um, if and when uh, somebody comes back that pushes Chris Rolf back, then he's obviously obviously going to take over the left uh, midfield spot. But at, at this point, I think Connor Doyle has to still be in front of Chris Pontius at left midfield. He's uh, in better form. He's faster. He's done more recently. I mean, the last time Chris Pontius was good was in 2012, and he's paid a lot of money, but we know Ben Olsen doesn't really care about that sort of thing, and I think at this point, you've just gotta you've gotta give it to Doyle based on his quality of play. At this point, who do you think should be higher between Doyle and Aguilar as as Jason was talking about? Aguilar is obviously still got some some rawness to him positionally, but Doyle's right. playing a new position as well. So out of the two of them, who would you rather see higher on the depth chart? I think it depends. Um, if Nick DeLeon is playing on the right wing, I would take Aguilar. If Nick DeLeon is out for whatever reason, I would take Doyle, uh, basically because he works back a little harder. But, yeah, if Nick DeLeon is on the other side, uh, providing that work rate, providing that cutting in cover, I would probably take Aguilar at this point. Uh, let the rookie run free and let him see what he can do. I mean, obviously, we at this point, we know what we're going to get out of Chris Pontius. We basically know what we're going to get out of Connor Doyle, even though he's playing a new position. We've seen it over a number of games that we know basically what his ceiling is. I mean, sure, he's still young. He could still improve at that position. Uh, he's not that much older than Miguel Aguilar, maybe even only a year or two. Um, but I think we all probably agree that Aguilar has more uh, inherent ability and a higher ceiling at that left midfield role. So if he's got somebody to cover him, uh, although now thinking about it, having Taylor Kemp behind him isn't great either. But with De Leon on the other side, I'm still going to lean towards Aguilar just to provide that offensive spark that United just hasn't had these past couple of games. Let's talk about some other fullbacks. Um, Jason, you mentioned earlier in the show that Corp is out for the season, which means we don't have a preferred backup at either, let alone both fullback spots anymore. It's Taylor Kemp on the left, Sean Franklin on the right, and behind them, it's I guess Robinson and Mishu. What did you make of, and, and both of them played against Montego Bay, obviously kept a clean, kept a clean sheet. Kept? Did I actually say kept? Kept. I am tired. <laughs> Jeez. Who says kept? You. Anyway, child? apparently. <laughs> Incredibly exhausted podcast hosts. That's who says keep. Uh, they they kept the clean sheet, uh, or were part of a back line that kept 
did it right that time, that kept the clean sheet uh, against admittedly lower competition. What did you make of Robinson and Mishu in this one? Uh, I mean, at the level of competition, it's clear that they're able to play pretty well there. Um, Robinson especially looks good when left with space to overlap mm-hmm. into and uh, put some crosses in. Um, his technique with the ball is pretty good. Um, I remember when he was signed out of the academy, uh, Sonny Siloy was still here, and he made a point of noting Robinson's ability with the ball um, and his ability to play out of the back, which is, is really nice. Um, he wasn't given much defensive work to do, um, so the the game was pretty easy on him as far as that goes. But it was good to see him uh, play well against a team uh, that he should be playing well against. Um, at this point in his career, you don't want to see him having a bad game against a lower-level team. Uh, he also played well against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and I thought that was maybe even a better indicator that, you know, at least at this point, maybe he's not MLS ready, but he's a going to be a good USL defender, um, which at his age is, is, is fine. That's fine. Um, it's good that he's playing um, at all. Uh, because there was a couple of years ago where he just would have been hanging out and training, and that's not really ideal. Um, yeah. Mishu, I think, is a little closer to ready to contribute in an MLS game. Um, I think he's maybe not quite as good on the ball, but I think his decisions are a little faster um, is, the, is the main thing. He also seems to have a good sense of when to overlap, not necessarily to cross, but just to add one more factor to the attack, you know, stretch things out, make the other team have to account for one more player. Um, there is a certain amount of decoy runs for, for Mishu that, that uh, when Robinson is making a run, it's to get the ball and hit across. When Mishu comes forward, some of the time it's to hit across, but some of the times he's just doing it so that the attention is elsewhere. Um, but overall, you know, playing against a team, I think um, Alan Adi, the for, one of the forwards for Montego Bay, is supposedly has like bad a bad country's Olympic team level 100 meter dash time, um, like just barely over 10 seconds. Um, so against a team with that kind of speed that was going to be looking to dump the ball in behind down the wings, um, they did pretty well. I didn't see them getting caught out very much, um, but you know the, the challenge just wasn't very great because Montego Bay was. On, in their first game with a new coach in the middle of their preseason or toward the end of their preseason, and they're just not – they're a, a limited team. Um, so I guess the main thing is that we didn't see any reason to feel concerned about those two because if, if they were having a bad game or struggling against Montego Bay, then there's a lot of work to be done, and that, that wasn't the case, so that's a positive. But can they play in an MLS game if Franklin or Kemp gets um, – I know Kemp is, I believe, two yellow cards from a yellow card suspension. Um, because I, I, he got the good behavior thing, so I think he's got two cards he can take now, um, which he probably will get two cards in the last, uh, what is it, seven games left. Mm-hmm. Um, so that then you know he may or may not miss a game, um, which puts United in a difficult position. But um, I think Mishu probably should be considered as a at least considered. Um, he's going to keep making the bench because someone has to be available as a fullback depth. Um, it can't just be put in Opare and then play Burnbaum on the left or the right because we've seen that he can do the defending, but uh, the attacking side of it is not going to be there at all. And United really needs, especially if they're going to stick with the flat 4-4-2, they really need a fullback contributing 
width uh, and crossing because our outside midfielders come inside. There's no one really to fire in crosses. Um, someone's got to be available to put those balls in, and if it's not going to be um, one of the starters, then I would I would suspect we would see Mishu. Um, but you know, Robinson isn't that far behind, and I think some of the quotes from Olson saying that he doesn't view Robinson as ready for MLS play yet. I think you know, maybe they're just trying to motivate him, but to me they seem maybe a tiniest bit harsh. I think he's closer than those quotes indicate. Um, he's still, I, I still wouldn't say he's ready, but I wouldn't say he's so far out that I would, if I were in charge, I wouldn't be publicly saying he's not ready, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, splitting, would, yeah, splitting hairs. I would also just say that I was surprised by his speed. That I mean, he came up as a center back throughout uh, all of his previous uh, training and appearances, and I knew he was going to be, he was always projected to be a fullback at MLS level, uh, MLS level, but I was just really surprised at how fast he actually was. Then, I mean, you can't teach speed, et cetera, et cetera, and so that in combination with everything else is a good sign for him. Ben, he's been assigned down to Richmond for, for I guess, the games since this uh, this Champions League appearance. Do you know if he's been playing center back or fullback at this point? For Richmond, he's mostly been playing center back. Just okay. Because the way that their uh, season has been going, they've had um, they have one rock of a center back, and then the other center back spot has been rotating throughout the whole rest of the season. They've had probably four four or five different players play the. Uh, the other center back spot. So it's when Robinson's been there, he's usually been plugged in there. It's the kind of situation that makes you pine for an in-house USL team. So you can send a young player out to learn a position and he would actually play that position. Or makes you pine for health at the first team to allow Loney's to stay down there. Cause he would have been, yeah. called, he'd have been called back regardless if it had it been a DC United USL team or not. Right, yeah. but when he was there, he'd be playing the position that sure. he needs to learn. Right. Sure. And there have actually been some examples this season of other MLS teams. I know Orlando basically uh, dissolved their relationship with um, Louisville because I guess they felt that their players weren't getting the right instruction. I know Kansas City has run into some issues. They've, they've barely I, – I think theoretically they haven't met the – the agreement that is in place because you have to send a certain number of players for a certain number of games. And but yeah, are, United has never met, maybe no, not never, but United but I mean, rarely makes that mark either. Right. And, and I mean, Kansas city, as far as I've seen sent Mikey Lopez down for like a month and a half at one point, And that was it. Um, they have yeah. not sent anyone else down for anything. Um, yeah. it, it, so, it's, an, it's an evolving relationship. It, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, but, I can't. But, I can't blame the independent USL teams for. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they want to. They want to win first, but yeah, those yeah, teams are obviously, development teams. Obviously, those in teams a perfect world, in the perfect world, yeah, DC United does need their own USL team as well. Right. And, yeah, and, exactly. I'm not blaming Richmond. I'm just yeah, yeah. saying the situation would be better for United's prospects, youth prospects, with an in-house team, and I think that that's not really debatable. Right. Sure. And and the teams that like L.A. for example has made great use of theirs because you see all of these young players for them cycling through that have had a bunch of games in the you know training with the Galaxy coaching staff et cetera et cetera 
Um, obviously, the Galaxy are kind of a special case because they can afford whatever they want. They're sort of playing in their own little world um, where they're well-run and also deep-pocketed, unlike some of the other deep-pocketed teams who are not well-run. Um, other than Montreal, who apparently their USL team is just a disaster on the field. I don't know about the off-the-field situation, though this is a team that fired their head coach at 1 a.m. Uh, so <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, the in-house, the teams that have an in-house um, USL squad, it bears fruit quickly. Um, getting your players in the position you want where you're not that concerned with the USL results. Um, those teams aren't necessarily there to win the USL championships. There's a reason why, if you look at the standings, the independent USL teams are, generally speaking, healthily ahead of the, the MLS2 teams. Um, but that's because those teams are there to develop players. They're not there to win games. They're there so the first team will win games some other time. Yeah, although speaking of, uh, like, Galaxy 2, it seems like they are... Uh, there's been an evolution in the roster rules because now the Los Dos are loaning players up to LA Galaxy 1, and at least initially, they were that was not really uh, supposed to yeah, be that, was, that, that directly possible. Right, yeah, because what they did was they loaned... Um, Roy Lassiter's son, Ariel Lassiter, and a guy named Dave Romney, a defender, up to the Galaxy. And then Romney, the Galaxy actually signed him to a Galaxy contract, a real Galaxy contract. Whereas Ariel Lassiter, I think, is still loaned up from USL. Uh, I think that's the way that situation still is. Um, So the Galaxy saw, as the Galaxy tend to do, they saw a loophole and they ruthlessly exploited it uh, as much as they possibly could. And if they could do more, they would. Um, oh, yeah. That is how the, the Galaxy's team policy, basically, is to find the rules that exist, find a way to exploit them, and then do it and or browbeat MLS into changing the rules so that they fit the Galaxy's plans. If they could sign David De Gea to a low-dose contract and then loan him up to the LA Galaxy to avoid yeah. a DP charge, they would. Of course oh, yeah. they would. They probably already looked into it. <laughs> uh, and if they hadn't, you you know, orchestrated the targeted allocation money, which I'm surprised I haven't heard called the Dos Santos rule, um, they 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 would have, and it would be the De Gea rule to go along yeah. with the Beckham rule and the Dos Santos rule. Uh, I I think we've already transitioned into our around the league segment, so let's just roll with it. Uh, we've been talking about the Galaxy, and they're the first team I have down. We're not going to hit every team in the league, but we're, we're going to talk about a few of them. Some uh, of them the Galaxy, you know. yeah. <laughs> and we might even talk about some of them. <laughs> Just we'll not probably accidentally team. land on them. Yeah. Uh, the LA Galaxy obviously are uh, on Five fire. Minutes. The last weekend's game against San Jose notwithstanding, they were, over the 10 previous games before that, a combined plus 20, which means they are now over 11 games, plus 19, which is still a ridiculous figure for a goal differential for a whole season, let alone uh, a, a third of a season span. Uh, ben, is this all down to the league just breaking parody rules for them, or... I mean, I mean, obviously not, that's something to do with it, but Bruce Arena's great, but it just feels like the league is 
basically selling out whatever notion of parity it had because the Galaxy just keeps signing more and more players for more and more money and winning by more and more goals. Sure. I mean, yes, that's part of it, but they also... But, I mean, Seattle has had the same uh, beneficence, and they haven't been able to turn it around the same as the LA Galaxy have. Uh, they've been able... And, uh, the, and Toronto FC has been able to take advantage of the same kinds of things the LA Galaxy have, and they haven't been able to turn it around to the same degree that the LA Galaxy has. So, sure, some of it is MLS roster rule shenanigans, and, I mean, it's MLS. We wouldn't be fans of MLS if we couldn't deal with MLS roster rule shenanigans, which happen on a yearly basis, and they change whenever you want, and Calvin Ball, et cetera, et cetera. But... A lot of it also just has to do with Bruce Arena. I mean, they turn it around at this point every season. They get themselves, they somehow get themselves back into the supporter shield conversation, even if they don't win. And they're going to be in the conference finals basically definitely and probably in the MLS Cup final. So it's just what Bruce Arena does. I don't know why he's not bored of it at this point with the LA Galaxy. Maybe he should want to try something a little more difficult with a team with a little less resources, but it's just what he does. He's really good at it, and it happens every year, so we shouldn't really be surprised. I think I can explain why he's still there. It's not just out of greed, but also... It's the AEG money? No, it's the weather. Um, oh, well, that's someone true. asked him when he, when there was that moment where he there was like a couple weeks there where he was like I don't know if I want to resign my contract or if I'll just hang up. I was gonna say hang up my boots, but that doesn't make sense. Um, hang up his whistle. Yeah, clipboard or his his cones. Um, hang, hang up, Kurt Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things he said was like, well, if I retire or not, I'm not moving. I'm staying out here because of the weather. Um, and then he went on to talk at length about how much he liked the weather uh, in in LA. So uh, clearly that's that's a factor. And and maybe I'm just jealous because today was uh, muggy and kind of unpleasant. But um, yeah, Ben is completely correct. I mean, Arena is basically uh, the guy you've got to go through if you're going to do anything in MLS. If you're going to make any noise in MLS, you're going to have to go through Arena and the Galaxy at some point. He's the um, Ric Flair. To be the best, you have to beat the best. I don't know. I know about Ric Flair wearing robes and yelling "woo," but that's it. He would a lot of times before he would woo. He would say to to be the man, you got to beat the man, or to be the best, you have, something like that. It's been you know two decades since I watched Ric Flair. There, there will, we we will probably receive comments on this because there's a surprisingly significant overlap between. MLS fans and wrestling fans. It's really true. I'm not There's a ton of pro wrestling, wrestling fans. fans. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's not my thing, but I'm not going to criticize them for liking it because I like a bunch of stuff that other people are like, why are you bothering with this? Um, but I do find it curious. I never expected to find that, but it's it's a big chunk of people. Uh, two teams going opposite directions. Uh, staying in the West for now, San Jose, who have won three straight after looking dead in the water, and Sporting Kansas City, who have lost, I guess, did they, how did they do them? Anyway, they, they've been losing games after leading the league in, in points per game for a little while and being Kansas everyone's... City lost to, Kansas City lost to Colorado. That's right. That's what it was. Uh, which is a team we 
weren't going to talk about except inadvertently. Um, Jason, well, Colorado isn't even Colorado isn't even the basement of the West anymore. It's RSL now, right? Yeah, yeah. Colorado's won two That's games right. in a row and suddenly are out of last, despite the fact that they've scored like seven goals on the season. <laughs> they've just scored, you know, three of them in the last two games. Right. Um, so what's going on with, with San Jose had a tactical switch that's obviously worked wonders for them, and getting Godoy in midfield, I think, is is a big part of that. I'm more curious, Jason, what's going on with Peter Vermees' side in Kansas City? Uh, I would just say that, that they were in really, really good form, and I think they just sort of hit a wall. Um, Sonny Mustavar has missed a few games, and, and he's their defensive midfielder, and he's the only good... I mean, they've got Omobi Okugo, but since he's been there, he's been pulled uh, before the hour mark twice, and not for injuries or being tired, but for just struggling. Um, Okugo really has had a nightmare of a 2015. Um, but without Mustivar in, um, without with Espinosa having broken a bone in his foot at the same time, um, their midfield really has been, you know, Benny Failhaber, and there were 10 good minutes from Paulo Nagamora when they came from 3 nothing down to win 4-3 uh, a couple of weeks ago. But that's been pretty much it. They don't have much else going for them right now in the midfield. And when that, that team's midfield struggles that whole team has a nightmare. Um, and that's really been what's going on. They're still dangerous going forward. You know, Dom Dwyer and Christian Namath are still two of the best attackers in the league as a combination, two of the best in the league. It's just that their midfield right now, Benny Philhaber is still playing non-Giovinco MVP quality soccer. It's just that he there's not really any help. Um they aren't good in transition, and they've still got Kevin Ellis at center back. So if you're attack, if you're steaming through their midfield to attack their back four, you're going to be going at Kevin Ellis. And um, Chance Myers hasn't looked the same since his Achilles um, injury last year. He's back, but he's not playing very well. Um, they've got a rookie um, Saad Abdul Salam at right back. They've got a rookie at left back in Amadou Dia. Um, sadly for them, they went out and. and in the offseason, signed Marcel de Jong, who uh, is a regular for Canada, but he's been so bad that Dia and even Jimmy Madronda, who's a central midfielder, um, Jimmy Madronda has played multiple times at left back and, and has also been pulled before the 70th minute, not for injuries or tiredness, but because he's not a left back. Um, but it's kind of, that's the, the straits they're in right now in Kansas City is that too many players in defensive positions are either bad or injured, and that's really it. It's, you know, when you attack them, you have to get past Benny Philhaber and Matt Beasler. It's two guys you have to get past. Normally teams defend with more than two. Um, if you've watched soccer in the last 50 to 70 years, you've not <laughs> seen a team defending with only two. Um, so, yeah. It's, I'm still it's, holding out hope, Jason. I think we should all time for a return to the 2-3-5. Maybe Ben Olsen will do it. I, you know, all the formations should be on the table in these next two weeks of training. <laughs> um, but no, Kansas City's issue is that their midfield has just sort of fallen apart, and without until Mustavar comes back, it's not going to be any good. And and Espinosa, I think, might even might not even make the playoffs. Um, I think they were talking about two months for him. Um, so uh, maybe he'll make the playoffs, but he's not going to be at his best. Um, but it's it's right now it's not a it's not going to get better until Mustavar comes back because they just don't have anyone. 
they have people on paper that should be able to replace him, but they're not doing it. And without that holding midfielder, their system kind of falls apart. Coming back to the the rest of what is still the Eastern Conference, since Kansas City moved out of the East this year, maybe to their detriment, um, the the East playoff field looks like it's basically set. Even though Peter Vermees uh, definitely says it's to their detriment because Peter yeah. complains about everything. It's true. It's true. Uh, right now, the Eastern Conference uh, is DC United still in first, um, but having played three more games than second place, New York. Yeah, Columbus, Toronto, New England. I think the top five are are definitely set, um, if not for the order. Orlando's currently in the playoff positions, but they are one point ahead of Montreal, who have four games. So it looks like Montreal's pretty much a lock to, to get into the top six. Except Sorry, they just not. fired their coach. Ben, don't step on my line, dude. <laughs> Especially when I'm about to make an Orlando City joke. Come on. Screw those guys, too. I was what? I was... Oh, dude. Come on. Podcasting. Anyway, Sorry, not sorry, Orlando. You're you're not making the playoffs. Montreal looks like they're going to make the playoffs, but they did just fire Frank Klopas, as Jason mentioned earlier, and and Ben so timely said just now. I uh, I was going to go to you, Ben, but I'm mad now, so I'm going to go to Jason instead. Jason, what the hell is going on in in Montreal, or or should I say in Italy, where? Joey Saputo is and was when he fired Frank Lopez. What's going on is Joey Saputo is going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, and I answered that question myself. Yeah, I, I mean, part of the issue for Montreal is that Drogba, Didier Drogba injured his toe and he was not even really fit. He didn't even look fit to play the 30 or so minutes he did play, and then he injured his toe in the process. Um, Ignacio Piatti has been out with a calf problem. And if you take those two players out of the equation, all of a sudden Montreal does not look much. I mean, they had Johan Venegas playing the Piatti role, and that's not what he's cut out to do. Um, Dominic Oduro remains Dominic Oduro, so he's going to get breakaways and then not convert them. Um, I uh, yeah, it's it's the impact aren't built to do well without um, without Piatti. Um, Laurent Simon is now suspended for the next game on top of that, which is terrible news for them because if they make the playoffs, he should be um, – maybe he's not on the top three MVP ballot, but he should be – some of the people are saying – bringing up his name before saying why he can't win the MVP um, because he's been that good. But without him for their next game, it's not going to get better because they don't have any defenders that are even remotely on his level. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the typical impact where there's a mess on and off the field. Um, fortunately, they are for them. They are better this time around, and they can actually um, take advantage of a pretty weak Eastern Conference to get in the playoffs. And Justin Mapp is back and looks sharp. He missed almost the entire. He missed actually the entire season for them up until this point because he was injured in their season opener at RFK against DC United in our season opener. Um, so they've got some positive things, and and once Piatti is back they're going to be dangerous going forward. And if, if Drogba can get 90 minutes fit, I mean, he's not going to terrorize MLS like some people think because he's 37. Um, but he will offer some hold-up play and some runs off the ball and some finishing that Dom Oduro can't offer. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, it's Montreal. So Montreal runs much more like a team from Brazil or Mexico than they do an MLS team. You know, there there are a bunch of articles about how no MLS teams got coaches were fired, um, and it's almost like Montreal read that and was like, oh well, we better hurry up and and make sure that doesn't that that can't be. Someone's got to go. So we'll, oh, we can still win the sack race. We'll carry the weight. We'll carry the weight for the league and firing coaches if uh, if no one else is going to do it. Um, I mean, they need to catch up with Toronto on those sack race victories. I, yeah, I mean, are are they behind Toronto even? Um, I I assume with you know the the changes Toronto's made in their history that that they lead Canada and the head start they had on the other two teams that they are the the top yeah. Canadian MLS teams at firing their coach before any other MLS teams fire theirs. Yeah, it, it it's probably close. I mean, they're they're making up ground. Um, yeah. Um, which is funny. I think I read uh, when he was like that at night because, like I said before, this happened at 1 a.m. after they had lost a game. Um, I With think their I owner read, in a different country and continent. Yes. Uh, well, as as um, one of our writers, Phil Quinn, pointed out, it was probably given the time frame. Um, Joey Saputo was probably waking up at 7 a.m., seeing what happened, and then calling someone and saying, "You make sure that Klopas is fired," and that's that. Um, and then going about his day in, in Italy, um, you know, going getting, down and getting some olive oil and bread for breakfast. I wonder if he what? said if he said post it publicly now. Don't don't even call Klopas. Just post that he's yeah, fired. Just he's fired now, and that's it. I'm gonna go out and get my espresso. Yeah, and um, put the press probably, release out now. Probably some sort of delightful Italian breakfast that I don't even know about. Um, but uh, yeah, I I mean, it, I, or the point I was trying to make was that. Um, Carl Robinson had signed his deal with Vancouver three days before Frank Klopas, and so Klopas was the second longest tenured coach <laughs> for a Canadian MLS team in the entire time that Canada has had MLS teams, and the only one longer is Carl Robinson by now, like, I guess now it's like six days, um, and he's going to be there for a while because he's actually good, um, and and the thing is, I did see some Montreal fans saying that well, maybe the team should have been firing someone because, let's be honest, Frank Klobos isn't the best coach. Um, nope. And a lot of people brought up, oh, well, they went to the Champions League final. And it's like, yes, they took advantage of the easiest Champions League field in some time to get to the final, and, you know, congratulations to them. But it also required several miracles happened in those games. I mean, And they've still played 4,000 less games than D.C. United this year. Well, they'll make up for it. I assume they're probably playing right now just because they're so far behind everyone that they have to play. Um, but, I mean, their Champions League run involved uh, Callum Malice hitting, like, the single best pass by an MLS player in 2015 in any competition uh, to Cameron Porter, who was playing his is making his professional debut, who then scored a 93rd-minute series-winning game or a series-winning goal against a team from Mexico. Um, that doesn't happen. Uh, that's like a one in a million pass, and they had more than one of more than one thing like that happen in their Champions League run for them to get that far. Um, and it wasn't because Klopas was a tactical genius. Maybe you know it did help that they went to uh, Mexico for their preseason. They spent some money on that. Um, but are you listening, DC United? Yeah, I, I'm sure that someone there is pulling the lining of their pockets out right now and saying y- yes, uh, but also no. Um, but that, I mean, Klobos wasn't really the guy that was going to take them any, I mean, this is pretty much where they were going to end up with, with Klobos or some other coach. So 
I mean, I'm actually, I can see the argument. It just it looks bad when you fire someone at 1 a.m. when you're you're on the bubble of the playoffs and you're not in, but you're close. Um, it just it's not how MLS normally works, and I think that's more the thing is it just looks strange and rash. Um, but I can see the argument that they had to change something because their team isn't maximizing what's there. Imagine if they hadn't fired their uh, first ever head coach, who is now leading the best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, after one season, when yeah. they, I think they won. And it wasn't even a bad season. season. No, they won ten times as an expansion team. Yeah, um, they missed the playoffs, just, so they were missing Marsh. For those of you who don't know, yeah, uh, they not that they. Uh, granted, I think Marsh has improved a lot as a coach since that season. I think he did. I don't know what he was doing in his downtime other than a couple video segments for MLS Soccer, but he definitely learned some things and definitely worked on some things on his own um, to improve. But, you know, if he was in Montreal, he could have been improving while also leading that team to success. But uh, that's the downside of firing your coach uh, based on emotion and short-term thinking. Um, But the benefit is that, you know, maybe you fire a coach when he needs to be fired rather than saying, well, let's give him the rest of the season. So that's really all the teams I really want to talk about. We could mention how Seattle is inventing one of the most, I guess, bipolar seasons ever, going ridiculously strong to open and ridiculously not to to end the season and how that they they have a remarkably tough CONCACAF Champions League group that they were nevertheless favored to get out of, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen either. Uh, Vancouver and Olympia both look like they have better chances to advance than than Seattle. Or we could just move on to talk about whatever team, Jason, you want to talk about. Uh, well, I can talk about Seattle, but it's basically going to be, uh, is Obafemi Martins playing? Then you'll have an indicator of, of whether the Sounders are going to be good or bad. Um which is really strange because that team has spent enough money that that shouldn't really be the case. Um, but that's really the, they don't really know another way to play without him. Um, they don't know how to break teams down in another way other than passing the ball to Martins and hoping that he can just sort of push his way through the middle either by skill or he scored several of these goals where he's been sort of stumbling and he just sort of he stays on his feet and his stumbling actually confuses people because they think he's about to fall or they're worried about what direction he's going to go, and what direction he's going to go is forward, straight forward. <laughs> um, and then he recovers his balance in time to square his feet and shoot past the goalkeeper from eight yards. Um, so in the yeah. most traditional American definition of most valuable player, if the Sounders make the playoffs, is Martin's no. your vote? No, it's Giovinco. Don't yeah. let, Let's not overthink this, and this is for everyone. If you're listening and you have a vote in this, do not overthink this thing because this is what MLS people always do is the MVP becomes a debate, quote-unquote, when oftentimes it's not really a debate. There's not a thing to debate. And people end up working themselves into knots to change their vote or to, like, have a uh, what they think is maybe the, the hipster vote or the, the smarter vote. Uh, but sometimes uh, you don't have to look between the lines. I mean... Sometimes things are obvious because they're obvious. Without Giovinco, Toronto FC has like four wins um, and has fired six coaches and maybe maybe also fired the city of Toronto somehow. 
Um, they're a bad team, and he pretty much hauls them to any success that they have, um, which is also not a good indicator for them because they have Michael Bradley uh, in their midfield. They've got several other good players, and they still look like a team that is entirely dependent on one guy. And Giovinco is injured right now, so that, that doesn't bode well for Toronto. Um, if he's injured for more than a couple games, they're probably going to lose every single one of those games because, like I said, they're not winning games without Giovinco. Um, and as much as signing Hercules Gomez was a good move for them, I don't think he's going to make up for Giovinco. I don't think anyone in the league can make up for that. So, uh, yeah, he's the and MVP. Outdoor too, and he has not been good either. He has nine goals, um, which is I, I find myself forgetting that a lot. But then when he scores a goal, I have to update my own little spreadsheet, and I'm like, oh, he's got nine goals. Um, and I think I've said that after each of his last four or five goals, like, oh, he's on that many goals, huh? Um, but that's just a product of being near Giovinco. I mean, I think if I was playing in Toronto FC, I would have three or four. I think at this point, and I'm not <laughs> even a forward. Um, and it would just be association with Giovinco. You just sort of don't get in his way and maybe try and, like, make a run that someone might track you instead of going to him, and then he'll score or he'll pass the ball to you in such a way that you can't help but score. Um, but that's, I, I mean, I don't know. We were, what were we, who were we talking about? Seattle at this point? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, no, honestly, MVP it was whatever team you wanted to talk about. You um, wanted to talk about Toronto in response yeah, to the yeah, question. Well, so. well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Giovinco is. Uh, I guess it's 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 not great that we've unfortunately we saw one of his hallmark games go against DC United. Um, but sometimes you just have to watch a guy and be impressed. I mean, he's uh, and a player that could easily have come here and just not cared and just been here to, to collect his paycheck and occasionally do something awesome and then the rest of the time drift in and out of games. And parallel. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, the, the issue with Pirlo is that he never looks particularly interested, even when he's playing his best. Um, that's the whole reason you have to surround him with, with super enthusiastic... Yeah, you have to surround him with some of the most enthusiastic players in the entire planet um, for him to... I mean, and then when you do that, he can do amazing things, but, you know, New York City has surrounded him with Andrew Frank Lampard and Andrew, and Andrew Jacobson. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Jason Christ is left to clean up the, the mess and try and yell at his players for a lack of commitment when... And get I mean, fired at the end of the season. Yeah, speaking of teams that are going to be um, rashly firing people, like, you couldn't make a, make a successful team out of this stupid roster we gave you. You're out. Um, there's, no coach on the, there's no coach on the planet that could win, uh, that could be better than, like, fifth place in this Eastern Conference with New York City's roster. And he, they've got David Villa. <laughs> They have the second best attacking player in MLS, most likely, uh, or maybe you could say third, maybe you know, depending on how you feel about Keane versus Villa. But um, yeah, they've got a player that is going to score goals regardless of how bad his team is, and they still look like a mess because they are a mess because they don't have any good defenders, and their midfield doesn't make any sense. And, they and put, sometimes, and, they and sometimes they don't and... start. And, yeah. and McNamara, yeah, they, they, it took them a long time to give them starts, and then sometimes they, they don't even start them. Um, McNamara didn't start their last game. Poku, when didn't everyone's start healthy, their last game. Right, you know, Poku might not start with Lampard, which is insane, because Quadro Poku was playing 
in the NPSL a couple years ago and is now legitimately the better option for New York City than Lampard. But uh, that's the crazy world we live in where a guy being paid millions of dollars for no good reason, by the way, they never should have signed him. Um, I don't even, we, the thing is we haven't even gotten a chance to see if he's interested or not because he hasn't been healthy enough to say, oh, he's fully fit. He just doesn't care. He just looks like a guy who's in his mid-30s who also isn't in shape to play soccer right now because of injuries, and it's hard to tell. Like, does he care, or can he just not run right now? Um, and New York doesn't make it any better because they don't surround him. I, you, Lampard needs the extra runners around him, not just Pirlo. Um, they need, they need like, six incredibly hard runners. They need, like, six Ricardo Clarks um, in their lineup now. <laughs> Oh God! I would never want to play that team. That team of six, six Ricardo Clarks, Lampard, Pirlo, via a goalkeeper, and McNamara. I thought you were going to say that they need a six-man midfield, and I was like, this sounds like a job for Sampson. No, I think uh, two of your Clarks are playing uh, as center backs. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, you could always put one in a goalkeeper shirt. Yeah, why not? Uh, you got to cover that ground too. Um, <laughs> Sweeper Lampard. keeper Ricardo Clark. <laughs> I mean, realistically, it's like trying. It, it's it's a little bit like trying to sign Carlos Valderrama and putting him in today's MLS, um, where everyone is high pressure and running and fast, and he's going to occupy like a ten yard box on the field, and that's it. Um, I mean, it's not. It's more than a little bit like that. It, it's right now, I will say very strongly analogous to that. Yeah, Pirlo and Valderrama are closer. Uh, they're closer as a what you would get. Um, Lampard doesn't really have Valderrama's passing range, so you're not even getting that, and he doesn't have the sprinting ability to get into the box anymore. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, if you're, 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 make a better roster. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think at this point Lampard has the uh, promotional value that Valderrama had back then. No, I mean, there's still plenty of people that, because he played in the Premier League, therefore he's awesome, because everything in the Premier League is great. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, he did play for title-winning teams. Yeah, yeah. I just, so he's he's more than just a guy who managed to play in the Premier League. But, yes, he's he's not probably worth the jerseys he's managing to sell at this right. point. Right, and, and maybe New York City needs to not just sign whoever shows up on their doorstep saying, hey, I played in a World Cup and in the Champions League, please give me $7 million. Um, you need to actually take a second to be like, wait, would you actually fit or no? Instead of just saying, yes, please, take our money. What I would love um, to see them do is sign somebody, like maybe Judah Friedlander just goes and knocks on their door, says, hi, I played in the Premier League in the Champions League and the World Cup. Can I have $7 million? And I'm like, sure, here you go. I'll show up at City Just no due diligence to here. speak of. No due diligence. Just oh, you did? Okay, here you go. Right. Get out there. Go, go get them. <laughs> also, you're playing central midfield. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I'm pulling the plug on this one. Uh, yeah. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at blackandredu for the website at filibusterdcu for the podcast. Be sure to tweet us your questions and, and maybe we'll we'll have a Twitter box segment coming up. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. Uh, we would love to hear 
any of those, or if you come up with a fourth category to send us, that's fine too. Um, there, there's more to say. I just don't have my notes in front of me, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> we're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. I mostly tell a friend about the show. Be sure to come to the tailgate meetup September 19th before the game against the Columbus crew and bring food and an appetite, both. That's the key here, is bring appetite and food. And beer. Uh, and beer. We're, we're just going to Spanish Inquisition this. We're just going to keep adding things. Among the things and you should bring... <laughs> Among the things you should bring to the tailgate are food, beer, and an appetite, and your physical self. Um, I'm, I'm done. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon, and I promise we will be more coherent. coherent. <laughs> Can't even say the word coherent. We will be co- more coherent next time. Say goodbye, Jason, for Christ's sake. Goodbye, Jason, for Christ's sake. <laughs>